Welcome back to The Strong Room. I'm your host, Sherry McMillan. Today, we're exploring how to protect your retirement income stream, really how to protect your asset base you've created for retirement. So our guest today is Chris Koshman. She's with us from McMillan Estate Planning. She's one of their senior planners. And we were exploring before the break, Chris, ways in which you can principal guarantee values that you want to preserve through your retirement to create you a lifestyle. So what are some of the mistakes that most of us make when we're preparing for retirement or we're shifting over? One of the most common mistakes that I see the retirees making is that they're either all in the market or all out, meaning they have too much cash or they don't have enough. Prudent investing, whether it doesn't matter what act of Canada you're in, whether it be Bank Act or Trust Act, you should have enough cash on hand to create your annual income as well as and then have the overage in an investment such as your own business, real estate, stock portfolio, what have you. That, to me, is the most common mistake that I see. Now, Chris, I know you utilize a formula to do a calculation to figure out what ratio should be designed in the estate. And what success does that create for a family? Basically, what that creates for the family is they don't actually ever realize a loss. Because they have the cash on hand, they can weather the downturn of a market, whether it be real estate market or stock market. They have the cash on hand. They know where their annual income is coming from. And it's not uh, scary for them because they, they actually have the secure asset there. Now, do you recommend that families create their retirement revenue stream monthly, quarterly, as lump sums? I always recommend our clients do it on a monthly basis so they feel like they're still getting a paycheck. I feel it's it's unnerving for the retiree to have an, an annual amount put into their bank account and then they have to make sure that that lasts them for the entire year. When they actually get the monthly stipend put into their account, it seems to have a calming effect for them. Now, another question I have, Chris, is with so many different product lines that you can choose from, there's a lot of marketing that goes on with these guaranteed incomes like annuities and so forth. I just wanted a general thought on all the products and how to look at it. Just like with every other decision in life, there's pros and cons to every investment out there. And you have to be very aware of what you're actually buying. You know, there's those commercials on TV right now or ads all over town talking about those guaranteed incomes, which are basically annuities. And with an annuity, there's there's pros and cons. The pros of annuities are you have a level income for the rest of your life. They lock in interest rates at today's market. It's control over if you want to leave a, a bequest to a child or a spouse that may have gambling issues or addiction issues, something like that. It provides them for an income for the rest of their life as well. So you have control over their spending. The rates also increase if they have a serious medical condition. So you'd actually get more per month if you were ill, which is not always a nice thought, but that is part of the the whole thing. But then with the downsides as well, as you lose control of your asset base, you're basically giving them your money. They're going to guarantee you an income for life. But once you pass away, the majority of the annuities that are set up today are not uh, replace of capital. So you lose your capital once you pass away, which is not great for the next generation. Now, because retirement is about creating a lifestyle and a revenue stream, what do we have to be cautious about, of course, when it comes to fees when we structure our investments? Well, definitely you have to ask the right questions. Make sure that you are aware of the fee structures around your investments, especially when you're in retirement. I don't, I don't, like to see an 80-year-old come into my office that has massive deferred sales charges on their account, and every time they pull their monthly stipend or their annual RIF payment out, that's actually costing them money. One client in particular that I'm thinking back to, her husband passed away, and he was his investments were set up on a, a seven-year 
declining DSC schedule or deferred sales charge schedule. And when the investor or the product manager reinvested or rolled those assets to the wife, they set her up on a brand new deferred sales charge schedule. So brand new fees for her, where he was maybe only in the last year of his fee schedule, and they set her up with another seven-year schedule. So you really have to make sure you're asking the right questions. How much is this costing me? When I pull money out, what's that going to cost me? Is this an annual fee? Is this a monthly fee? What is it? Because that's the common miscommunication that between advisors and the clients. The clients aren't really aware of what it's really costing them. Now, I'm just curious, Chris, in your years of experience, what age you use to create a retirement revenue stream. They live until what age? Well, when I'm dealing with a couple that come into my office, I typically use the the younger of the two to their age 100. And the reason I use that is because I want to be very conservative in their retirement calculation. I want to ensure that they have enough income to last them for the rest of their life. And I do two scenarios typically, you know, one spending their capital and one preserving all their capital, living just off of interest. So we tend to err on the conservative side of things. So then that's giving quite a scope. You know, if you are prepared to spend your capital, you may need less value to start retirement with than if you're endeavoring to live off of it as a nest egg. But it's nice to have both perspectives. Oh, well, exactly. And it's nice to know that if they if they choose to leave an inheritance to the next generation, they can if they want to. They don't have to spend their capital if we can create enough of a yield on their asset base today to create that retirement until they're 100. And I always explain to them that this is a very conservative calculation that I do and that you typically spend more in your early phases of retirement rather than the later years. So it's all a balancing act and and what's important to them. A lot of my clients say I'm going to spend everything before I die. And a lot of the other clients say, no, we want to we want to preserve this capital for our kids. We want to make sure that they have at least X amount of dollars and, and that's it. Now through the years I know Chris a lot of legislations have changed around the retiree as well around RIFs and RSPs and OAS and so forth. What have you actually seen as a pattern there? The pattern that I've seen is actually even the governments are, are extending life expectancy. For example they've extended the, the RIF age that you are forced to draw your, your minimum RIF per year to age 71. It was previously 65. So to me that shows that people are retiring later sometimes as as well as they're living longer. The other two, CPP and OAS, have actually extended their tables to age 100 as well. So this is something I think we need to prepare for. People are living longer and and they're needing the retirement income for a longer period of time. Now, when you prepare a retirement strategy, do you often consider the primary home? How do you view that? I actually don't consider it at all. I, I strip that asset right out of the retirement calculation because the statistics are showing that more people are actually passing away in their own home rather than a, a retirement lodge or retirement facility. So we we don't include that as part of their retirement because it, it shouldn't be. That's You need somewhere to live. And, and if, if that's their comfort level to stay in their primary home, it shouldn't be considered part of their retirement. Now, another important area that I know you always address, Chris, is the area of income tax because ultimately, what's important is what we clear in our genes from that revenue stream we're creating in retirement. And frequently, I have found that a lot of investment advisors are more concerned about what product line they're selling than the net outcome to the family. Definitely. One of the, the common misconceptions in investment planning is, is the advisors always pushing RSPs. RSPs are a great tool when utilized properly, especially if you don't have a pension on the back end of things. But one of the things that people don't realize is that when you draw your income out of your RSP in retirement, you're taxed on that as actual income. 
meaning that most of our retirees are going to be in a top tax bracket, especially if there's pensions involved. So they're going to be losing 40% in Alberta right off the top. And a lot of people don't really realize that. They think, okay, I'm going to invest my money in an RSP today. I'm going to get the write-off. Woohoo! It's going to be a great deal for me today. It's going to grow tax-free, which is all great benefits. But on the other side of things, people don't really take that into consideration. And who should cautiously think about RSP versus non-RSP? The people who should think about the most are those people who are who've created high net worths and high wealth in their early years of life. They've, you know, created sizable non-registered asset base, business owners who are going to be in the high tax bracket later on, whether they like it or not. Business owners usually always stay business owners. They're always in some facet of of business, even when they're 80 years old. Those are the people that should be cautious about investing in RSPs. Unfortunately, they've invested in these RSPs early on because that's what the, the mentality around RSPs are, is you should have an RSP, you should have a non-registered pool, and you should have some sort of other asset base. Not wrong or right, it's just those are the ones that should be aware that how they're taxed at retirement when they're forced to take that money out of that RSP or RIF. Now, I also know you review what types of investments people are investing in because not all investments are equivalent from the purposes of tax neither. Definitely, especially when you're looking at uh, non-registered investment pools. Obviously, the investment advisors out there are typically pushing product. They're not typically purchasing what's best for the client in a taxation position. They're not looking at that aspect of it. For example, when you invest your investments into an interest-only type account, like a GIC or bond scenario, something like that, you're paying interest income on that, which is taxed at your marginal rate, which could be the highest tax bracket in Alberta, where you could invest in other types of portfolios that uh, strictly earn capital gains or dividends, which are favorably taxed in Canada. So it's understanding what type of investment you have as well. So lots of great advice, Chris. Now, as we go out from this segment, I want to just highlight the best and most important areas that we have to give contemplation to in our retirement. The first one, foremost, is plan to age 100. Obviously, second would be have a principal guarantee on your investments, pay the least amount of tax now and at death, and most importantly, enjoy your life's hard work now while you can. Thank you very much for sharing your insight with us today. We do welcome you, of course, if you have questions about your own retirement plan, to join us at our website. It's strongroom.ca. I am Sherry McMillan. This is The Strong Room.